Well, it's a quiet start to the week with the US on holiday, at least those states that have got behind America's newest public holiday. And even though there's not a rush of central banks meeting this week, it was a pretty hectic one last week, wasn't it? Uh, There's still plenty of opportunities for central banks to continue to influence the markets. Jerome Powell, for example, is facing questions from the Senate and the House for two days this week. And right now, it does seem there's a race, doesn't it, uh, between the various central banks to turn up the rhetoric. Who can turn it up the most? Also today, we look at the fall of the Aussie dollar as commodity demand eases, the Aussie is falling, will it keep going lower as recession fears grow? It's Monday, the 20th of June, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, at the close of play on Friday, the US dollar was at 104.7, having got over 105 on the DXY. Not the highest of the week, but it did finish the week half a percent up and a big fall on the Aussie dollar, down 1.6% on Friday, down to 69.3 US cents. The yen down 2.1% on Friday as well. Uh, The Nasdaq bounced back at 1.4%, but of course, it was a nightmare week for equities, which saw the Nasdaq across the week 4.8% down. The S&P 500 was down 5.8% over the week. Uh, with a quarter percent rise on Friday, but that wasn't enough. A similar story in Europe. The Eurostox 50 was up 0.3% on Friday, but down 4.8% over the week. The FTSE fell on uh, the last day of the week, down 0.4%, compounding the earlier falls to finish the week 4.1% down. None of that is as bad as the ASX 200, which fell 6.6% last week, the biggest fall it's seen since the onset of COVID. And of course, the Aussie dollar down as well on bond yields, 10-year treasury, in the US uh, might only be up seven basis points on the week, but they peaked 24 points higher than they are this Monday morning in the middle of last week. UK 10 years at a nice round 2.5%. That's only 4% up and uh, no massive peak for them during the week. So things are a bit more gradual there. Over the same week, German 10-year bonds were up 14 basis points, just shy of 1.66% now. But it was Southern European uh, countries and bonds that were seeing the, uh, the their yields going crazy. Greek five years, for example, might be a bit down over the week, but middle of the week, they peaked more than 60 basis points higher than they are now. So they went up. And they came down again. An Aussie 10 years climbed 14 basis points on Friday. Two years last week, over the week, climbed 53 basis points. Whilst the heat comes off oil for now, WTI fell 6.8% on Friday. Brent down 5.6%, just over $113 a barrel. That's about uh, 8.2% down over the week. So this week uh, might not be quite as busy as last week. Uh, we had so many central banks last week. Will that calm things down this week? Because there's not much of that going on. Well, here's Rodrigo Cotrill from NAB in Sydney. I tell you, it was a a heck of a week, wasn't it, last week? We had those big moves in bond yields. And the Aussie dollar definitely feeling the hair. And I know that was a, sort of like a, the perfect storm that was driving it down, wasn't it, last week? Morning, Phil. Yes, it, it has been the, the perfect storm for, for the Aussie. Um, I mean, one of the things that you sort of you didn't give the details to is also the, the sort of almost permanent uh, rise in, in, in volatility, uh, not only just in equity markets, but across the board. So in that environment of big, big uncertainty, which is reflected by the volatility, uh, the Aussie um, doesn't do well uh, and struggles, and, and that's clearly evident in terms of the performance of last week. The VIX has remained above 30. Uh, we've seen a widening of credit spreads, and, and we've also seen an increase, quite a significant increase in, in, in effects volatility. Uh, again, because of all this, this narrative coming from central banks, um, 
you know, we had the surprise from the SMB uh, being quite hawkish with that 50 basis point hike during the week. Uh, and the BOJ on Friday being uh, on the extreme other side, uh, retaining its dovish stance um, against expectations uh, that the market thought, oh, we, we've seen so many central banks surprising on the hawkish side. Maybe, maybe the BOJ was going to do that. But in the end, um, they remain resolute in terms of their ultra easy monetary policy. But how again, long can they hang out for that? I mean, you look at the uh, the yen, it's down about 17% since March. That is only going to get worse, isn't it, if they keep on trying to keep their yields down? Yeah, so to, to us, the interesting thing to note is uh, a couple of things. One, in terms of inflation, Japan can afford to wait relative to what we've seen in other parts of the, of the, of the world. Uh, they haven't got like a rampant inflation. And, and in fact, we've got to remember that they've been trying to fight deflation for uh, decades. Yeah, so, trying to get into, into positive yeah, figures. So, absolutely. So, in that, so sense, yeah. uh, that, that is, if you like, a positive. Um, the nature of inflation, of course, is not the positive one. It's been driven by energy. Japan is a big importer of energy. Um, and we yet to see sort of this broadening of inflation that includes that much desired increase in wages. So uh, the BOJ is, is optimistic. Uh, we also got to bear in mind that Japan hasn't really had a proper recovery. It's, it's had a stuttering recovery because of COVID. And only now with, you know, vaccinations being, you know, well uh, covered in, in terms of the country. Now the, the expectations are that the, the economy could perform much better this year. So they're, 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 they're being a little bit more patient in that sense. And I suppose... The important thing on all of this is the issue of the stability of the currency rather than the level. Um, when the currency becomes very volatile, that, that is, becomes a financial stability issue. And that's where the BOJ will become concerned. And, and in fact, the, not only the BOJ, but also government officials have expressed their discomfort about the volatility in the currency. So to us, at least near term, uh, the, the key issue for, for the yen in terms of any intervention or any, any uh, steps from either the, the government or, or, the gov- or the bank uh, will be around the stability of the currency. If you see large swings in the currency, that, that's where things could get messy. Well, well okay, talking about uh, stability of currencies then, what about the Aussie dollar? Because, I mean, the, you know, we, we, we've spoken many times about how it tends to you know, track with the S&P 500, uh, and that's certainly what's been happening, is it? Particularly since March, you know, we've seen it, uh, the s P has been falling in the last month uh, or so, uh, although it's a different magnitude. The Aussie dollar hasn't fallen as much as the S&P 500, relatively speaking, particularly last week. So does that mean that there could be more downside for the for the Aussie dollar? I mean, we certainly saw a tumble in Aussie shares last week, didn't we? Maybe the, the dollar could fall a bit more. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. So I suppose that the one story that maybe has been uh, lost in all this equity volatility is that we are now starting to see that that concern of recession being reflected in in commodities performance. Uh, we, we've seen oil prices decline significantly on Friday. That's uh, you know six percent on Brent, um, but others other commodities have also been softer. And in fact, iron ore is is down. Um, I think it's just over fifteen percent uh, on the week. So in addition to all these uncertainties that have been sort of sparked by the aggressiveness or hawkishness by central banks, there's also this dynamic in the background about the uncertainty of the um, uh, stability, if you like, of the recovery in China, um, where, you know, the lockdowns and the, uh, the very subdued consumer and services side of the economy, given the, the COVID policy, um, is, is raising question marks about the ability of the government to really uh, be able to stimulate the economy through all this infrastructure plan, uh, whilst at the same time, 
you know, the consumer is important for China. And if the consumer remains subdued, um, you know, you, you have to sort of decrease your expectations of how well China can do. So that is now started to be reflected as well in, in commodities, um, you know, copper as well. But could, but could it go the other way as well, you know, with commodities? Because uh, Germany is now saying that they're going to turn on their uh, coal-fired power stations. And so, you know, where's that going to come from? Presumably that's going to help uh, uh, demand from Australia, which could see the Aussie go the other way, maybe. Well, I suppose from a sort of medium term, this is this is one of the things that uh, Ray and I have been uh, grappling with for uh, quite some time because um, all this aggressiveness by central banks and China's uncertainty means that you know growth will be challenged and and typically when growth global growth is challenged, commodities don't tend to perform well. But at the same time, you have all these structural issues. You mm. know the the movement towards clean energy the the movement uh, away, particularly of Europe, away from that dependency from, from Russia means that commodities should be in demand, uh, particularly commodities from the rest of the world and, of course, for Australia as well. So um, it plays to the view that even in a slowdown that is expected, uh, commodities should perform relatively well. Uh, and in fact, when you talk about coal, thermal coal, um, you know, it's actually done very, very well, uh, um, not only prior to, to, to the invasion, but it's uh, through, to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but even afterwards, because of that sense that uh, coal will, will be in demand uh, as a substitute for, for that gas dependency. Mm-hmm. So um, it certainly will be a supporting factor, but uh, overall, our sense is that if the global economy is slowing down, commodities will, will, will slow down as well in terms of the buoyancy. So we'll see more weakness in the Aussie dollar in that case. It could, it could go lower. Well, and uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. If there's market volatility and certainty, uh, the Aussie struggles. And, mm. and this has been our theme for the Aussie, really, that we, we think the Aussie will, you know, struggle around and, and pivot around that 70 cent mark um, uh, over the near term until we start to see a little bit more certainty in terms of the outlook. And hopefully, mm. importantly as well, by the end of the year, we will see a bit of a, a, an ease of the hawkish rhetoric from the Fed. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's look at signs of inflation yeah. coming down. Let's look at rhetoric in, in just a second because it certainly is being turned up. It's like a race between central banks as to who can come out with the most frightening terms, I think. But but also we're seeing more <laughs> soft data as well, aren't we? So from the US at the end of the week, industrial production for May up just 0.2 percent for the month. It was 1.4 percent the month before. Manufacturing production actually fell 0.1 percent. Both both those reads were weaker than expected, and we also had producer prices in Canada, which rose 1.7 percent month on month in May. So that's not good either. You know, that's uh, that, that that's pointing to more inflation. I'm, I'm looking for signs of hope, actually, that my inflation might, you know, might just be reaching a peak. But we're not seeing anything on that, are we? We're seeing the slowdown, but we're still seeing rising we're prices. We're seeing the slowdown. And uh, the one thing that uh, we got to remember is that uh, some of the slowdown is really a function of what's happened in, in China around three months ago. So the, the big decline in activity in March, um, um, you know, the, the, the stats tells us that there's a there's a leading uh, a relationship between China and the rest of the world in terms of activity reading. So some of it is is can be blamed on China, but at the same time we know that China is sort of recovering from that. So uh, we need to sort of bear that in mind in terms of the the, the data prints at the moment. Um, the other is that you know the rhetoric coming from central banks is very clear. They uh, Fed Governor Waller talked about that over the weekend as well. He re- literally said, I don't care what's driving inflation. All I care is that it's way too high. 
And all I care is that my job is to bring that down as quickly as possible. So there's going to be growth pain. Um, they are willing to take that growth pain in order to, to arrest um, the, the, the increase in inflation. And that theme is not just the, the, the Fed, but it's also a theme that the RBA is also embracing as well. Well, acutely focused is Jerome Powell's words. Now, he was committed earlier in the week. Uh, then on Friday, uh, he was speaking at a conference, acutely focused. An unconditional commitment. Yeah, there we yeah. are. I'm loving it all. <laughs> Whereas, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think who's come out. Well, the, the Bank of England said they were going to act forcefully. You know, that's, uh, I, I think that's, that's staging right. the Fed in this uh, race for rhetoric. Uh, but we also had uh, Janet. Well, first of all, anything else to say about Jerome Powell? Did he say anything that was surprising anybody apart from, uh, you know, using more definitive language? Well, no, and, and see, if anything, that, that's the big theme for the week. Uh, uh, Fed Chair Powell is expected, well, will be speaking before uh, Congress. Um, and uh, to some extent, what more can he say? Uh, um, I, th- I think that, if anything, the, the debate in Congress will probably be centered around a bit of a blame game. You know, who's responsible for all these rise in inflation, whether the Fed has acted uh, too late to all of that. So I think that that will be one theme. But in terms of the rhetoric uh, about what to expect from the bank, um, I, I'm not sure Fed Powell, Fed Chair Powell will reveal anything new yeah. this week. Well, he is speaking in front of the Senate, though, isn't he? And uh, in the House on Wednesday and Thursday. So the opportunity for pointed questions. So he might not intend to say anything, but they might get something out of him. But perhaps if That's they're right. doing their job well. Uh, meanwhile, uh, let's look at what's happening in Europe as well. Oh, actually, just quickly as well, Janet Yellen was on uh, uh, ABC TV um, in the United States on Sunday. Um, yeah, she was talking it all down. I guess that's her job, isn't it? She said, you know, a recession isn't inevitable. Inflation is unacceptably high. But, you know, she thinks there'll be a, a transition to steady and stable growth. I think she's still talking about it all being uh, transitory. And uh, if we're patient, it'll sort itself out. I mean, she is definitely talking a different language to the way they're talking in the Fed, isn't she? Yes, although she did say that, you know, she expects inflation to remain elevated over the rest of 2022. Um, and, um, and I suppose, you know, critics will be reminders that uh, this is the same person that was talking about transitory and that inflation will be coming down in 2022. So, so it's a different story relative to what uh, she was saying just a few months ago. So um, uh, I suppose it just reemphasizes the view that inflation is the major concern from a political perspective as well as from a, a central bank perspective. Um, and much will depend in terms of the fortunes for the equity market and currencies, um, uh, what happens to U.S. inflation over, over the, you know, the rest of the year. And uh, what's the European story going to be this week? Because uh, Klaus Knott from the ECB has upped his expectations. Uh, he Basically, uh, earlier in the week, last week, he said a 50 basis point rise was possible from the ECB. And then on Friday, he was saying, well, actually, maybe we'll need several of them. Yes, that's right. So that was the, the, the tilt. He, he is one of the hawkish speakers uh, from the central bank from Europe. But uh, certainly this idea of several hikes, of 50 basis point hikes, uh, you know, raised some eyebrows. Um, and I suppose for this week, it's, it's interesting because now we're going to get uh, not only sentiment, but activity readings, those PMIs that are coming on Thursday uh, around the globe. Uh, there's always a bit more focus on, on what the readings are in Europe. Um, and there's been, there's been a bit of a resilience uh, in terms of those activity and sentiment readings of late. So it'll be interesting to see if we start to see a bit of a turn 
um, you know, uh, this week. So that will be important. And is there going to be any market reaction to, I mean, we don't know the results just yet, but they've had elections in France and uh, it looks like from the polls coming out that uh, uh, Macron is going to lose his parliamentary majority in France. Is, is that going to make any difference? Are we going to see any market reaction? Um, uh, there's been a little bit of a reaction in the euro at, at the open, but um, um, I'm not sure it's going to be a sort of a longer lasting one. The, the issue is more in terms of the fortunes of politics and, and regul- uh, change of reform within France. Uh, Macron has always been more pro-liberalism uh, and, and he's always tried to introduce more reforms, particularly in terms of the labor market and even pension and so on. Uh, so obviously that, that agenda will be challenged. Uh, but in terms of the impact for Europe, uh, I'm not sure it's going to be as significant. You answered it in just one word. You just went, yeah... <laughs> it's like no not really uh so it's a public <laughs> holiday in america today it's juneteenth that was the uh, the holiday second time they've had this it was because it was introduced uh by joe biden uh so it's to celebrate the uh, the abolition of slavery they did it last uh last year and it's uh back on again this year although lots of states don't actually uh s- support it because of uh well politics uh but the bond markets are closed and the uh stock markets closed so uh, don't expect anything from that today but well, and locally uh will we get the rba minutes this week don't we and Philip Lowe's talking tomorrow on economic policy and monetary outlook. He's obviously going to be asked where he sees uh, rates going, uh, but uh, but fairly quiet. Actually, we haven't mentioned in, or maybe we have in China, uh, they're setting their uh, their interest rates today. Well, yeah. So today is the is the bank's rate. So yeah, the commercial banks have set the the long prime rates. Yeah. Uh, and when you look at their surveys in Bloomberg, uh, there's a sort of general view that uh, that nothing will happen. Um, and of course, we, we didn't have a change in the medium term lending facility last week. So that plays to the view that uh, it's unlikely to, to be changed. Uh, and when you look at the liquidity and for, for banks in, in China, there hasn't been an increase in liquidity or, or a government initiative to make funding cheaper for banks. So. All, all of that plays to the view that no, no change should be expected to No, we're well over time. We'll talk about Philip Lowe tomorrow morning. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk. <laughs> Catch you soon. Cheers, Phil. Now that's Rodrigo Catrill on the morning call. I'm Phil Dobby. I am back again tomorrow morning for another one. Uh, enjoy your Monday. See you tomorrow.